Hey, Happy New Year. It is great to be with you today. I hope that your 2022 has uh, has started well. Um, I'm going to be starting a new series today. And as I do that, I just want to acknowledge that I've got a little bit of dribble on my shoulder. Not mine, not my own dribble, my daughter's dribble. Uh, and you might hear her uh, running around in the background, the joys of recording a preach from home. But bear with us, we'll get through it. Today, uh, as I said, I'm starting a new series uh, and it's called Joyful. And it's going to be a journey through the book of Philippians. We've called this series Joyful because as we read through Philippians, you will see that joy is so evident throughout this book. Uh, the joy that Paul has uh, who wrote the book, uh, wrote the letter, because of the church in Philippi, the church that he's writing to, the joy that Paul has because of his relationship with Jesus, and then just the pure joy of the gospel itself. And so that's that's really the, one of the main themes that we'll see. And then on the other side, we also see Paul's heart for living in the fullness of the Jesus way of life. You know, for Paul, it becomes clear that, you know, regardless of, of hardships or sufferings that we may face, Following Jesus is still the best way of life, and the fullness that Jesus offers is the best way of life. This is a series that we're not going to complete in one go. We're going to really take our time with it. We're going to just uh, kind of break each chapter into like kind of smaller sections and really dive into the scriptures. Uh, and so we'll be in Philippians for the next few weeks, uh, and then after that, we're going to take a little break and then we'll come back to it. Um, but we'll make sure we communicate that well. Uh, so, as I kick off, let me just give a little bit of context to the letter of Philippians. Philippians, uh, sorry, Paul, Paul planted the church in Philippi and it was his first uh, church plant in Eastern Europe. And we actually get to read about uh, that church plant in Acts 16. And I would really encourage you to do it because uh, it's just it's quite a fun story, quite uh, uh, just a nice kind of insight into how that church started. And so Paul planted this church uh, and then he goes off and continues preaching the gospel and he gets imprisoned in Rome in AD 62. And the church in Philippi, they hear about this and they send one of their members, uh, a man called Epaphroditus, which is a cracking name. Uh, to Paul. They send him with a financial gift and just to go and bless and minister to Paul whilst he's in prison. And this letter that we have is a thank you that Paul sends back to the church in Philippi uh, to thank them for their gift, thank them for sending Epaphroditus, and then also to encourage them that in the face of any suffering or persecution that they may be facing, uh, to remain in the joy of the gospel, remain in the joy of knowing Jesus and in living in his way. I would love to invite you to read Philippians along with us as we preach through it. I know many of you uh, will have just started Bible reading plans. Maybe you're reading the Bible in a year. Uh, don't stop those. They're amazing. Uh, but why don't you just, just add into it, uh, read Acts 16 this week to kind of get the context of the church being planted, and then read Philippians. Now, we're going to be in chapter one today and next week, so you could take it slowly and just read chapter one, or you could read, read all of it. Uh, and then just, you know what, you'll get so much more out of, uh, out of the Sundays, out of the preachers if you're reading along with us. So we'd love to invite you to do that. So let's dive in today. We're going to be in Philippians 1. We're going to pick up from verse 3. The first uh, couple of verses opens with a greeting from Paul and Timothy, and then we pick up in verse 3. I thank my God in all my remembrance of you, always in every prayer of mine for you all, making my prayer with joy because of your partnership in the gospel from the first day until now. And I am sure of this that he who began a good work in you will bring it to completion at the day of Jesus Christ. It is right for me to feel this way about you all because I hold you in my heart for you are all partakers with me of grace, both in my imprisonment and in the defense and confirmation of the gospel. For God is my witness, 
how I yearn for you all with the affection of Christ Jesus. Let's stop there. We'll read a few more verses in a little bit. Holy Spirit, we welcome you into this time as we meet digitally in this way, God. Would you bless the words that I'm about to speak? Would you soften our hearts to, to hear your truth and come be amongst us, Lord? In Jesus' name, amen. So hopefully... From this opening section, you can see that this isn't a letter that is written in anger and this isn't a letter written to rebuke the people in Philippi for a particular wrong. This is a letter from a leader who is filled with joy at the thought of the people he leads. And he's sending this letter to thank them and to encourage them to keep going in their faith, to encourage them that Jesus really is worth it. Verse eight, that last verse we read, for God is my witness, how I yearn for you all with the affection of Christ Jesus. Paul really loves these people. You know, he begins by saying, I thank God every time I pray for you. I'm so full of joy at the thought of you. And why? We find out in verse five, because of your partnership in the gospel from the first day until now. Partnership in the gospel. That's um, not necessarily a phrase. It's not a phrase that I necessarily use loads. I'm, I'm, I'm sure it's maybe uh, not one that you use too frequently. But I've been uh, I've been ruminating on it this week. I've been sitting with it, and I really like it actually. You know, for Paul, the Apostle Paul, one of the most important things in life is that we live for the advancement of the gospel. He he just wants people who follow Jesus to be sold out to know Jesus and to make Jesus known. And so Paul is just overjoyed. Uh, the, the fact that the people in Philippi have done that, have, have been on that trajectory from, from the first moment that he was there, that he planted the church and, and they decided to follow Jesus until now when they're sending Epaphroditus to go and bless and minister to him. And so he's just full of joy that the Philippians are partnering with the gospel. And so I think this is a great question for us as we start 2022. I know many of us all have been uh, thinking about resolutions or reflecting uh, at least on what last year was like and maybe what we'd like this year to be like. And as we do that, why don't we ask the question, is my life partnering in the gospel? You know, maybe if that isn't a phrase that you use too often, uh, another way of thinking it might be like this. Have I ordered my life in a way that helps me know Jesus more and make him known more? I encourage you, sit with that this week, sit with that question and then just begin to make a plan for your life for how you could do that. Now, as we kind of kick this series off and, and kick today off, I really want us to get the tone and the heart of this letter. You know, this is one of a pastor who knew his flock, who loved them greatly, who was writing uh, to thank and encourage them. You know, Paul knew the individual people in Philippi. He's not just kind of writing to, uh, you know, a, a, a kind of institution. He's like, oh, I think this would be helpful for you to hear. Like, he knows the people there. He loves them. He loves what God is doing in them. He, we see that he's so full of joy just at the thought of these people. And he's so blessed by the people that he leads. I think a helpful way of thinking about this might be like, you know, imagine if James and Jen moved to, uh, you know, another city and for whatever reason, James was in prison and starts preaching the gospel and all of these kind of things. And then he's writing a letter back to us, you know, the church that he has planted, that he and Jen have led for 13 plus years, that they know us, they love us. That's, that's the heart of Paul in this moment. And I understand the joy that Paul is feeling uh, towards the people in Philippi, because when I look at our church, you know, I feel the same thing. 
I do, maybe not always, but I, but I mostly do <laughs> all the time. You guys are amazing, but not just on a you know church-wide scale. The way that we feed the hungry, we house the homeless, we welcome the refugee, we uh, care about our young people knowing Jesus, we care about worship and prayer. Not, you know, not just not just kind of on that kind of wider scale, but on an individual basis. You know, I get to um, uh, kind of lead and and see God work in many of you on an individual basis. Get to walk and journey with you, and you know what I. When I see the work that God is doing and I see people's faithfulness to Jesus, I'm, I'm full of joy. I become so blessed by it. And, you know, I could, um, I could, I could pick a, a whole number of people to tell you about. But let me just tell you about, about one person. I don't want to embarrass him too much, but a guy called Danny Hatton. Some of you will know him. Uh, he's a fifth year medical student. And we met in his first year of union and we hung out a couple of times. And then we just started, you know, every, every few months just having a coffee, chatting life faith, Jesus, sport, theology, like kind of whatever was coming up. We were just like getting to know each other and just, just sharing life and sharing faith. And over the years, uh, we've been in small groups together and which, you know, kind of now we're great friends and we'll, we'll go and walk. So we'll hang out, we'll play tennis together, that kind of stuff. And, and I am just so blessed every time I hang out with Danny because Danny is a guy who is deeply passionate about Jesus. When I hang out with him, I see that he's serious about the scriptures, that he's humbly seeking wisdom, that he has integrity in all areas of his life, that, that he's taking seriously his call to be a doctor, but also taking seriously his call to love and serve the local church. You know, Danny is sold out to know Jesus and make him known. And so I leave those encounters with Danny, those hangouts with him, like so deeply encouraged, so, so deeply full of joy at seeing what God is doing in him and seeing his faith. I'm so blessed by that. And this is, I think, what Paul is having with the church in Philippi. So why do I say this? It's, it's not just to make Danny feel great and make you think you should hang out with him because you should. He's a great guy. But it's because that joy that Paul is feeling towards the church in Philippi, that joy that I feel when I hang out with Danny, that's a joy that is available to all of us. And, and I think maybe some of us have lost that joy. Yeah, we haven't encountered that in a while. But I, I want to say, I really, really want to encourage as well, if you're an older Christian in our community, why don't you get alongside some of our younger believers? Not necessarily even younger in age, but just, just younger in the faith. Lead them, bless them, share your wisdom with them. Because as you do that, you will then be so blessed and encouraged. You will feel the joy that Paul is feeling towards the church in Philippi. Because you'll see God move in their life. You'll see them grow and mature in their faith. But I also, I also want to say it because it, it's an encouragement for any of us who are maybe feeling deflated or discouraged, maybe even cynical, maybe even unsure whether we want to keep, to use Paul's language, uh, in partnership with the gospel. Maybe the way you put it is like, do I even want to follow Jesus anymore? You know, find people like Danny. Our church is full of them. If you don't know how to find them, just join a small group. Come hang out on Sundays. You'll meet them quick enough. Let their faith and devotion to Jesus rub off on you. Let their walk with Jesus be a blessing, encouragement to you that you can too. You know, we are just a church full of ordinary people trying to follow Jesus and, and you can do it too. And so if that's you, join a small group, get plugged in, hang out with people like that and let their faith rub off on you. Now, I love the opening uh, to Philippians. I love its tone. 
<clears throat> because it captures really, I guess, the heart of how we try and do things in the vineyard. You know, we really try to look to see to call out the good in things, to encourage people, and then also to invite them into more, into deeper discipleship, into a deeper relationship with Jesus. And this is what we see Paul doing in the opening passage. You know, he uh, is encouraging his, there's Nora, if you can hear her, <laughs> he's encouraging the church in Philippi. And then he's inviting them into deeper discipleship. We see this in verse six. Now, I'm sure of this, that he who began a good work in you will bring it to completion at the day of Jesus Christ. This is twofold. You know, it's both that we will be made fully complete when Jesus returns. But it is also that we will grow in maturity and Christlikeness across our life. You know, progressive holiness, to call it something else. You know, and this is what Paul pushes into in the next few verses that we're going to read in a moment. Um, you know, he encouraged the church. He's so full of joy because of them. And then he's praying for them to grow and be changed and become more Christ-like. You know, there is so much good in our church, isn't there? We are, like, there are so many ways that we are going after Jesus, that we are seeing the kingdom break out in our community. But there is also so much more that God has for us. You know, we care so much about deep discipleship. And this is why, uh, you know, a little while ago, I guess over, I can't remember how many months off the top of my head, but September 2019, I think it was, that we launched Live Like Jesus. This discipleship framework where we're like, we want to go after being with Jesus and doing what Jesus did. We want to push on these pedals and we want to become more like Jesus. We want to grow in the rhythms and the practices of Jesus. And we're going to be looking at another practice next month. We're going to be learning how to pray uh, together. And it's this idea that however much we live like Jesus, however much we look like him, there is always more room to look more like him. We never want to be a people that settle. We always want to continue to push further in, to continue to be changed, to be made like him. So let's read what Paul encourages the Philippians to grow. And this is in verse nine. And it is my prayer that your love may abound more and more with knowledge and all discernment, so that you may approve what is excellent and so be pure and blameless for the day of Christ, filled with the fruit of righteousness that comes through Jesus Christ, the glory and praise of God. There's so much gold in this section, but what I want to pick up on is discernment. Paul's prayer is that their love would grow with discernment and that with discernment they would know what is in line with God's heart and that they themselves would be pure and blameless. Discernment is key to us growing and becoming more Christ-like, for us becoming joyful. You know, I've been feeling this for a while um, ahead of Course Live For, which is the, the conference back in, uh, back in November, that I was helping uh, make happen, part of the team. And I was just praying and seeking the Lord for, for I guess, just uh, something to unlock for that generation. Like, Lord, what's the key that you want to deposit for them? What is it that you're calling them to grow into? Uh, and, and what I felt, felt impressed on me was not just uh, for them, I think, I think it's for us as a church, and I think it's for the wider church, it's this idea of discernment. I felt like the Lord was just saying to me back then, my people need to grow in discernment, to learn to discern what is of me and what isn't of me. And, and I feel that, that this is a key for us in 2022, to It's just what the Lord has been pressing on my heart. And I, and I think this will be a great thing for us to grow in this year. Well, what do I mean by discernment? I mean, put simply, it is the ability to judge well. You need know, to be able to take different points of view, to weigh them, to judge which is in line with scripture and which is in line with God's heart and, and which isn't. 
to to be able to judge world of like, well, does that even make sense? Does does the logic that that argument is using work? Does it does it does it fit with the, the logic of scripture? Does it, all of these kind of things? And so let me just unpack some of why I think this is so key in our current cultural moment. Every society and culture has a worldview. We know this, and obviously there'll be nuance and variation within each culture, but there are, you know, each sort of cultural society has an overarching worldview. And many of us in our church will have grown up uh, in the context of Christianity being the majority worldview in the West, uh, the majority worldview here in Britain. The Christian values would have largely been seen as good. They would have uh, largely been upheld, promoted, that type of thing. But there has been a shift. And in many ways, the shift has been happening for a long time, but I think it's been felt incredibly acutely at the moment that Christianity is no longer the majority worldview in Britain. That it has shifted. No longer are Christian values seen in the positive light that they were. No longer are they to be upheld, promoted. Often they are to be shunned, to be proved wrong. And so on. And if we, we don't have time now to dive into it, if you want to talk more about it, I'm fascinated by this stuff. We'd love to have a chat. Just get in touch. We are now the minority worldview in our culture. And uh, it's easy at times to be overwhelmed, to feel grief at that. And, and I've, I've felt that, I guess, like that, that burden at times and have processed that with the Lord. But the, the reality is we don't need to be too disheartened about it. It's just the way it is. And actually, because of it, there are loads of opportunities for us to share the gospel in this new context we find ourselves. There are loads of opportunities for us to speak Jesus in. There are loads of uh, good things about some of the shift that's happened that will open people up to hear the good news of Jesus. But what we need to do is, is we need to let that frame our thinking and our understanding. We need to understand that our society and our culture has a worldview or cultural philosophies that are not in line with the kingdom of God. Jesus, uh, as he sends out his disciples in Matthew 10, 16, he says to them, Behold, I am sending you out as sheep in the midst of wolves, wolves so be wise as serpents and innocent as doves. You know, this is how we are to be. We are to be innocent as doves. We are to be pure, to be blameless, to be kind, to be gentle, to be the bringer of peace. And we are also to be wise as serpents. We are to be perceptive to what is going on in society. We need to be aware of its influence and its messages. 15 years ago, when I was a teenager, you know, the number of people that I had influencing me was much smaller than it would be for a 15-year-old nowadays. You know, for me, uh, maybe it was some teachers, some youth leaders, maybe some bands I listened to, maybe like a magazine I read maybe. But my access to all of those things was much, much more limited. Now, I have instant access to effectively unlimited experts online who are all vying for for my attention, but all vying to influence me, to shape my thinking, some of them to sell me something. But this instant access to information, though good in many ways, it is not wisdom. And it is not discernment. You know, we are bombarded uh, by information all of the time, aren't we? According to the Research Institute Barna, the average millennial consumes over 3,000 hours of digital content a year, of which only 150 hours of those are Christian in nature. That is a rate of 20 to 1. You know, everything we consume will be underpinned by a worldview. Every Netflix show, every podcast, every Instagram feed, every advert we watch, every book we read has a view of the world 
it has something that it is shaping us towards. And it's a fairly safe bet to say that the majority of content we're consuming is rooted in a different worldview to ours. Now, <laughs> some of it will overlap with our worldview, yes. But fundamentally, we consume hours of content and information each day of a different worldview. And we need to be wise as serpents to that. We need to be aware, perceptive. Now, this doesn't mean that we shouldn't engage with society. No, not at all. No, of course not. There are obviously some things that it's just very clear we shouldn't engage with. But this is where discernment is key. This is where we need to be people like the people um, in Jeremiah. Uh, when God says the, the Israelites are sent into exile in Babylon, and he's like, hey, like, seek the peace and prosperity of that city. Love it. Work in it. Make friends in it. For if it prospers, you too will prosper. Uh, this is that we need to see the good and we need to celebrate it and we need to push into it. But we need to be acutely aware of where it is not in line with scripture. Some helpful questions that you might find uh, just to rattle through them uh, when you're engaging with different content, just to help you begin to get an idea of like, well, is this in line with scripture, is it not? What is the worldview that I'm being told here? How is what I'm consuming affecting my view of God, my view of myself and the people around me? And is the underpinning view of the world or human dignity or morality or justice or sexuality, fill in the blank, of what I'm consuming in line with the Bible's teaching on it? I, I, I want to be clear at this point. <laughs> there are many good things about our society. I am not in any way saying that all of it is bad. Uh, what we need to do, though, is we need to be aware of what is in line with the kingdom of God and what is not. You know, some of our society is in line. With the kingdom, we should celebrate that, absolutely. Some of it is obviously counter it. And then there's this grey area where quite a lot of it can sound a bit like the kingdom of God. And we're not really sure. It's like, well, is it? Is it not? And this is where discernment is so key. Because the enemy will use things that sound almost true to lead us astray. And I want to, um, I guess, just touch on, on one area that will maybe help us to, to see why discernment is so key. And, and this is kindness. You know, being kind is valued in our society. And that's a good thing. Being kind is a good thing. Don't, don't hear me wrong. Kindness is part of the kingdom of God. But what's happened, uh, especially in, in recent years, is there has been a distortion of what is loving and what is kind. You know, there is a view that is pervading society at the moment, and uh, it's especially influencing our younger generation, that to love someone and to be kind towards them is to affirm and endorse all of their life choices. You know, that you cannot be kind to someone whilst challenging their viewpoint, their lived experience, their definition of themselves or the world in which we live. The reality is this is the intolerance of the tolerant society in which we live, the illusion of inclusion, that everyone is welcome and included and should be tolerant of everyone's viewpoint, as long as that viewpoint is the same as ours. And if it's not, then you won't be welcomed, you won't be tolerated, you'll be vilified on social media and, and so on and so forth. And we see that happen far too often. Now, underpinning this is really the belief that to be kind you cannot believe that there is an absolute truth. But here's the problem, right? <laughs> there is an absolute truth. His name is Jesus. There is a created order. There is a moral order. And then when we look to Jesus, we see someone who was incredibly kind and also held to truth. So as Christians, like, guys, we can take heart. You can 
be kind and hold to truth. Uh, just to give an example of this that we see in Jesus' life, you know, the Sermon on the Mount. Many of us will know it, read it in Matthew, and it is probably the strictest moral code ever taught. You know, Jesus does not pull any punches. You know, he says things like, if I, you know, say like, for, you know, for me, if I look at another person with lust, I've committed adultery on my wife. That's, that's God's sexual ethic. That is super strict, you know, and he is laying down the absolute truth of God's morality here. But then what happens is you go and read the interactions that Jesus has in the following chapters after that, after he's laid down this code and, and he's meeting with people who don't live up to that standard, who are broken and full of sin. And you know what happens? Kindness and compassion are his first steps. He doesn't meet them with harshness. He meets them with kindness. He meets them with love, with mercy. And then he speaks the truth to them. It's both and. You know, an example of this in another of the Gospels, John 8, is the woman caught in adultery. Again, a story many of us will know. A woman is caught in adultery, brought before Jesus. And the people are saying, well, look, the law is that we should stain her. And Jesus says, well, hey, uh, you know, any of you with, without sin, you cast the first stain. And then, uh, you know, they will leave eventually and Jesus turns to her and says, well, hey, neither do I condemn you. Go and sin no more. The reality is our culture wants the neither do I condemn you. They think that's kindness. What they don't want is the go and sin no more. They think that then veers away from kindness. Ultimately, actually, that is the most kind part of it. Because true kindness is to want the best for someone and to love them towards the truth of go and sin no more. Of, hey, you, there's, a, there's a way for you to walk in freedom and, and it's not that way of life. Proverbs 27 verse 5 to 6. Better is open rebuke than hidden love. Wounds from a friend can be trusted. I pray that we would be a church full of friends who are willing to speak the truth in love to one another, who are willing to be kind and compassionate and love people towards the truth. You know, ultimately, if you want the best for someone, being kind will involve challenging them at times. Now, don't get me wrong. The church and Christians have not always communicated the truth kindly, but that doesn't mean we should throw out the baby with the bathwater. We cannot lose our adherence to the truth in a desire to be more kind that will not reflect the heart of Jesus. See, this this is just you know one area of many, and again, I would love to chat more if you'd love if you'd like that, just get in touch. But this is an area that we need clear discernment because there is a message in society that sounds like it could be in line with the kingdom of God, but it's actually a distortion of the truth. You know, discernment allows us to weigh these messages and then go, well, actually, that sounds like it could be, but you know, I I see Jesus be kind and speak truth, so that doesn't actually line up. And then allow, it allows us to align our hearts and our lives with the gospel, with the truth of scripture, with God's ways, not with culture's ways. At the end of the passage, we read, today is clear. God wants us to be pure and blameless. He wants us to be filled with the fruit of righteousness. Prophetically and practically, I believe that growing in discernment is one of the most important things we can do this year to grow in that. And as I close, I just want to leave you with an encouragement uh, to, to grow into some. You know, we, we all kind of would know this, of course, but we have to know our Bibles. You, we have to know the truth that is in, in this book. And as I said earlier, some of you will have started Bible reading plans. 
go for it. Great job. And if you haven't, it's not too late. Like, just start one. Download version if, if you don't kind of know how to get a Bible reading plan. They've got loads on there. Download Bible in a year or just open the book of Matthew and start reading the Gospels. Um, Dave Kemp <clears throat> did an amazing preach around this time last year. And we actually showed it on YouTube last week to kick the year off. So if you're watching uh, on YouTube and you saw last week, that's great. And hopefully that would be an encouragement to you. If you missed it, then go back and listen, because Dave just really helpfully unpacked some practical ways uh, that we can start to engage with scripture and start to read it more effectively. And if you have maybe struggled to read the Bible in the past, that would be a really helpful talk for you to go and listen to. Because ultimately, if we want to know God's heart, if we want to know God's will, God's ways, we find them here in this book. If we want to be able to discern whether the worldview we're hearing from our culture is in line with God's ways, we need to know the Bible. We need to know the Bible rather than knowing what we think God might say or knowing what we feel God might say about an issue. See, we can actually know what he thinks and what he feels. So what does it look like for you to begin to order your life in a way that is in partnership with the gospel? What does it look like for you in the example I was giving to, to step more into kindness and truth? For the people around you? What does it look like for you to have rhythms of being in God's word in 2022? Because as we do these things, as we step into it, we will begin to encounter the joy that Paul is talking about in Philippians. Our love will, as he prays, abound more and more, and we will grow in discernment, and we will grow in purity and blamelessness before the Lord.